Hello and welcome to another episode of Cyberspeak with InfoSec, the weekly podcast where industry thought leaders share their knowledge and experiences in order to help us all stay one step ahead of the bad guys. Rebecca Moody is a director, fraud and identity at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. She is also the co-author of Threat Metrics' H2 2018 Cybercrime Report. For today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the findings of the report and lay out some of the practical takeaways that your company or personal network can implement based on this report. Rebecca Moody has been part of the Threat Metrics Fraud and Identity Team for nearly four years, helping to develop product strategy and market positioning to better understand and solve for the complex fraud, identity, and authentication challenges of the company's varied customer base. Rebecca works with the sales team, prospects, customers, and analysts to better understand the current and emerging threat landscape, developing thought leadership articles as well as showcasing customer success stories. Rebecca has been involved with the development of the Threat Metrics Cybercrime Report for over three years, tracking the ever-evolving cybercrime landscape by looking at transaction and attack patterns and trends across industries and global geographies. Rebecca brings over 12 years of marketing and strategy expertise to Threat Metrics, following time at two large London agencies. Rebecca, thank you for taking time today for us. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. That's fantastic. So let's uh, start right at the very beginning. Tell us about your security journey. How and when did you first get started in cybersecurity, cybercrime? How did you get interested in it? Uh, and were computers kind of always part of your life or did that happen later in life? Um, I came to it uh, sort of probably relatively later than some. Um, okay. So my background was actually kind of product strategy um, and planning. And I uh, kind of fell into the security business via um, the fraud channel. Um, and I've been at Threat Metrics now for four and a half years and have kind of relished uh, the challenge of learning a, a new kind of um, new area of expertise. I, um, I have been involved in the Cybercrime Report now for, for sort of the most of most of its lifetime. Okay. Um, so I... I sort of fully immerse myself in in everything fraud and cybercrime related now. So yeah, it was a it was a slightly later in life start to um, fraud from a kind of planning and strategy background. Okay, so how long has the Threat Metrics uh, Cybercrime Report been been going out? And and you said you've been doing it for three years. Is that right? Yeah. So it's um, our first report. I think was twenty fifteen. So about okay. three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first started the report, obviously, we were a much younger company. We were analyzing um, sort of millions of transactions as opposed to billions of transactions. Um, and I think one of the really interesting trends for me is that when I first started working on the report, about 20% of our network traffic came from a mobile device. Hmm. And actually now um, in the report that we've just released, 61% of, of our um, traffic is now coming from a mobile device. Yeah. So I find it really kind of intriguing to follow those kind of um, customer trends and to understand how and why consumer behavior is changing and to see how that has an influence on, on kind of global cybercrime. Uh, to sort of um, give a top-down view of the the cybercrime report, how is how is the data compiled? What is where does where do the numbers come from? What are you looking for, um, and what are you sort of like sifting from the big data? 
So um, we uh, analyze um, all of the transactions in our global network. Um, so mm -hmm. to give you an idea of scale, that's about 35 billion uh, transactions a year. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at transactions from our global customer base. And those customers span most industries, so financial services, e-commerce, um, media, gaming and gambling, insurance, government. And we're looking at transactions across the customer journey. So from new account creation, so when someone's setting up a new account, um, either with an e-commerce merchant or a bank or a, a media site, for example, through to logins, um, so authenticating identities at logins, through to payments and understanding whether a payment is trusted or high risk. Um, likewise, we're also looking at transactions such as change of details or, or any other kind of high risk points in the customer journey. Okay. And um, in terms of how we analyze those transactions, we're using digital identity intelligence. So by that, I mean intelligence relating to someone's device, their location, their behavior, um, their identity, um, and any threat intelligence that we might have on that, um, on that transaction to really understand uh, the legitimacy of, of an online transaction. And we're looking at that across our kind of global network. So when we're talking about um, attacks in the cybercrime report that I write, that's based on um, high-risk transactions as scored by our customers. Hmm. Uh, now, let's let's start with where uh, you mentioned before. 61% of all transactions now take place on a mobile device uh, but constitute only 42% of overall volume attacks, according to the infographic that uh, mm -hmm. I was sent. And also mobile payment transactions saw 24% year-on-year growth. Uh, can this uptick be explained by things like interpersonal payment systems like Venmo, or is this uh, is this just sort of where things are going, uh, people are going towards sort of mobile payment processing for all kinds of things? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think your point about um, kind of new mobile payment platforms is a good one, um, you know, particularly in some of the growth and emerging economies and, and in parts of um, APAC, for example, we see a big proliferation oh, yeah. of, of kind of um, different methods of mobile payments. Mm -hmm. And obviously, a lot of those are being facilitated by um, digital transactions. Um, I also think that there is a kind of a, a wholesale shift in transacting of consumers onto the mobile channel. Okay. So it's really interesting because when um, I was working on the report sort of a couple of years ago, mobile tended to be the domain of the kind of login transactions. So, you know, someone would just use mobile to kind of do the checking functions um, of a kind of of a, an online journey, whereas checking now checking your bank statement or whatever, exact, exactly checking your okay. bank statement. You know, going into your mobile app and seeing what your bank balance is. Okay. Whereas now we're actually starting to see really strong growth in other areas of the customer journey. So people are actually opening new accounts on their mobile device, mm. for example, or they're making mobile payments on a mobile, you know, on a on a mobile phone, for example. And so I think um, this, this kind of shift is, is sort of happening now across everything. It's not just across the kind of the easier to manage transactions. And, you know, the facilitation of, of mobile payments is obviously making that easier because we're designing and developing technology that sits really nicely on mobile devices. But then, of course, the converse um, 
kind of you know how that uh, influences attack patterns um, is also kind of a, a point that we've been watching really carefully so you make the point that mobile transactions are safer um, because they make up a larger proportion of our volume but the attacks make up less than half of our volume so they are still definitely safer than desktop um, okay. and obviously a large part of that is down to kind of you know the security of mobile apps and that sort of thing but we are starting to see um, a bit of a kind of shift in the way that fraudsters are attacking the mobile channel. Hmm. So we're starting to see a growth, for example, in mobile account takeovers in financial services. Ah. Um, and we're also seeing a growth in some mobile attacks in certain regions, for example, in kind of growth economies and that sort of thing. So I think, um, yes, mobile is still safer, but for us, it feels like there is a perceptible shift of fraudsters moving across to the mobile channel because they understand that that's where the, the um, customer transaction volume is going. Right. And obviously, they have to follow suit. <laughs> right. There's a quantity game. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, were you surprised by just what a jump there was in, in mobile financial transactions like this? I mean, you know, it's obviously a big number, but it, it, it seemed based on the sort of findings of the report that it was more than you were expecting. Yeah, I, I am surprised by the fact that we're seeing um, kind of growth in mobile attacks. Um, I suppose um, it, it does feel like that's the way that, it, that, that the attack patterns are going. And I suppose probably what um, we found more surprising was the fact that a lot of the um, attack patterns that we've historically seen on desktop transactions are now starting to migrate over to mobile. Hmm. So, for example, um, we used to see a lot of remote access um, attacks on desktop, and we're now picking up remote access attacks on the mobile channel. And likewise, bot volume, although we see a relatively small mobile bot volume, it is there and it is you know, a perceptible shift hmm. that we're starting to see mobile bot volume. So I think for me, it's probably less of a surprise on the numbers and more of a surprise in the kind of modus operandi, if you like, of mobile hmm. attacks and the fact that um, you know, the mobile channel is not immune to all of the attacks that we've seen on desktop in the past. Um, so of the uh, many changes that happened in the second half of 2018, what, what findings in your report did you find the most troubling and why? Um, I think for me, um, one of the things that I was surprised by is the really high bot traffic volume. Mm -hmm. So interestingly... Yeah, three, three billion transactions, was it? That's right. Yeah. So interestingly, we've seen a slight um, downturn in the number, the, the absolute number of, of human-initiated attacks, and by that I mean anything that isn't an automated bot attack. Right. But conversely, we've seen a growth in automated bot attacks. And I think um, when you look at some of the regions where those bots are originating, we're seeing bots coming from places like Malaysia, Vietnam, um, hmm. Brazil, um, some of the kind of growth economies, it almost feels to me like, um, you know, stolen identity data that is kind of feeding these bot attacks hmm. is giving these, these countries um, almost like a, a growth economy of cybercrime. You know, it's actually mm -hmm. fueling a, ki a kind of um, a an industry in its own right, if you like, of cybercrime. And so I think, yeah, I think for me, 
that kind of that huge growth in volume of automated traffic was quite a worrying one um, and obviously something that we want to kind of monitor over time um, but it definitely feels like that bot traffic is kind of like the, almost like the lowest common denominator and the easiest option you know cyber criminals are using that information to kind of slice down lists of stolen identity data and then launch these kind of um, fast automated attacks on say an e-commerce merchants um, login process to try and kind of hack into good user accounts um, so I think yeah um, that that kind of growth in bot traffic is definitely one to watch for us yeah and uh, you're saying also that the number of human initiated attacks has gone down as bot traffic has exponentially risen so is there uh, you know is, is there like a sudden like ease of being able to sort of set bots like like you know a change in the technology that makes it you know easier for you to sort of just like initiate these things and, and have done with it whereas before you'd have to yeah kind of I, d I don't know whether i would make a direct correlation between okay. the fact that human initiated attacks have fallen and bots have grown um i think you know the the fact of life now is that stolen identity data is out there yeah. um you know most of us have probably had some item or some element of our identity um, credentials stolen at some point and it is available and it's you know it's fairly cheap to buy on the dark web and so that um, stolen identity data that is, is being fed by data breaches is becoming a kind of part and parcel of of um, of these automated bot attacks and so they they represent a kind of a quick an easy, well, relatively easy way to sort of monetize that data. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would make a direct correlation. And I okay. think um, for me, I want to see what happens to the trends in in our next half year yeah. report to see how how those trends are kind of playing out to see whether you know it's something that we continue to see. Right. Yeah, we don't have enough points on the line yet. Yeah. Uh, so um, explain to me the concept of cross-network activity. You noted that the cross-organizational fraud is particularly strong within banking, gaming, gambling, lending, and retail, uh, and that the same bots are targeting multiple organizations, often outside the country where the bot originated. Uh, and how does that change what we understand about addressing cybercrime? Yeah, this is a this is a really um, kind of key point for us. So okay. this was um, the first time um, since we've been doing the cybercrime report where we've actually been able to prove existence of um, cross organizational cross industry fraud. Hmm. So our assumption is, as you would expect, that there is um, an element of kind of networked fraud that you would naturally see fraudsters operating in networks across industries and across as cross organizations. Right. But actually this was the first time that we were able to prove with digital identity data that we could see the same fraudster operating across a number of different organizations, both within the same industry. So the highest correlation that we see is like you say, between you know, one bank and another bank, but also between different industries. So between a bank and a cryptocurrency, for example. Mm -hmm. So what really interests me is, you know, what path is that fraudster taking across those organizations? Which, uh, which bank or cryptocurrency are they going to first? 
what are they doing when they get to those those organizations and how are they perpetrating that fraud so that's the kind of almost like the next story that I want to kind of delve into is to really understand the the kind of critical path of the fraudster but for us it was a really key way of showing the kind of the importance of looking um, at um, fraud risk on a global level and I think we have quite a unique vantage point because we have this global network of shared intelligence across our customers to be able to say let's look globally at the intelligence that we have and let's really understand the kind of global footprint of fraud. Uh, is are there any based I, again? I know we're sort of like in the middle of it now, and, and more data might be needed. But are there any security policy policy changes that these industries in particular need to implement to address these these new challenges? No, I think it, for us it goes back to um, having a kind of layered defense. Okay. So looking beyond single point solutions and actually kind of layering in different um, kind of pieces of intelligence and different capabilities so that you're not just pointing to kind of one um, isolated solution and I think that's the way that we've tended to always focus on our product development is is kind of building this layered defensive intelligence that's looking holistically at, um, at kind of uh, a person's digital identity intelligence and really using everything we know about how that user transacts mm-hmm how, where, why, what, what their behavior is like so that you can accurately um, detect any unusual or high-risk anomalies to that behavior. Hmm. Okay. Um, you noted that um, Latin America in particular has emerged as a hotbed of new account creation fraud in the past several years of the payment attack rate that's increased from 18% from 2017 uh, and that the greatest risk is associated with mobile payments with attacks increasing 52% in just one year as before. Uh, so what what factors have caused Latin America to rise in prominence as a hotbed of cybercrime in the past few years? Is, are there tech changes, social changes? Yeah, I think it's a combination of lots of things. Um, I mean, we can, we can surmise um, that as uh, a lot of those countries in South America are kind of growing in technological capability, mm-hmm. um, so too is the, is the kind of capability to commit fraud. So I think, you know, in a lot of growth and emerging con- economies, not just South America, but, you know, looking at India and some APAC countries, yep. where you have a high percentage of unbanked and underbanked customers, um, you know, digital, particularly mobile, is really facilitating access to new um, financial services products, which might not have um, the, that customers might not have had access to in the past. Um, so I think that creates a kind of an interesting melting pot of um, kind of customers who are new to digital transacting, who um, might also not be um, kind of as technologically savvy and. As, as say some you know customers who've been transacting online for a long time hmm. so I think sometimes that can create an environment of heightened risk yeah. I think as well it's just an interesting point that we're assuming that stolen identity data from data breaches that we're seeing globally is also trickling down to some of these growth and emerging economies so yep. Um, we see this kind of dissemination of stolen identity data, which I think specifically points to the fuel and attacks of new account creation um, attacks, because that's where the stolen identity data is is really being used at that kind of point of creating a new account. Hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that 
those those kind of emerging economies are obviously you know a, a kind of key target almost like a key test bed for some of that stolen identity data okay well that that leads into my next question and also i just wanted to sort of get a clarification on on what what is it about like new account creation that is especially like a hot point for you know fraudsters to kind of like take over you know is it just that you haven't set a reasonable password or like i mean there's there seems to be like you know older accounts maybe don't have the same sort of vulnerability that new accounts do uh, how, how does that explain yeah, I mean, I suppose creating a fraudulent new account, if you manage to do it, is yeah. often kind of opens up a pathway to future fraud. So gotcha. you're creating a, a kind of a trusted identity online via a, you know, a fraudulent new account, which can potentially give you opportunity to do various other fraudulent activities. Um, so I'm thinking things like, you know, for example, if I um, set up a fraudulent um, account for a travel platform and then I'm able to either create fake reviews or create a fake listing maybe for a, a holiday home, which might then allow me to monetize a stolen credit card mm. because I'm creating a fake, you know, um, new uh uh, host account that sort of thing okay. so I think it, it almost feels like you know it's 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 the start of a, a potential a potential um, further fraud hmm. um, so yeah I, I think that that's probably what I'd say with new account creations sort of, sort of a eventual means testing of a if an account's been around for a while and it hasn't done anything yeah. terrible yeah. then you'd probably likely have. okay so uh, another interesting finding of the report was that um, uh, media industry in particular still sees the highest penetration of new account creation attacks of all industries. And you speculated that fraudsters likely see media companies with their lower barriers to entry as ideal test beds for stolen credentials, and that one out of every six new account creations is fraudulent. Uh, why do you think this is? What is it specifically about the media industry that makes it such a free-for-all of fraudulent account creation? I think it's a couple of things. I think it's the fact that um, generally there's less stringent security measures when you're opening a new account in a for a media company because often um, there is a, a lower perceived risk. Okay. Um, and I think you know the likes of financial services companies and banks obviously have very stringent security measures sure. and are very highly regulated. So I think that's the first thing. I also think that media companies, so you know maybe social networks, dating sites, that sort of thing. Okay. They're often the kind of um, entry point for a, a, a person's digital journey. So if you're thinking of, you know, the people who haven't transacted online before, maybe young younger teenagers, for example, it's often the first point that they start okay. transacting online. And so I, I think that also creates a kind of a potential um, heightened risk um, because, you know, they – they have less kind of um, background in in kind of digital transactions. Right. So I think it's probably both. I think it's the fact that, you know, media companies in general have a lower lower kind of barrier to kind of setting up a new account and also because of this kind of, you know, representing the first stage in a in a kind of new user's customer journey. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, there's, you know, on one hand, there's that sort of push to make the internet available to all. But on the other hand, by doing that, you you sort of have this 
this sort of gaping breach that <laughs> is just yeah. asking for people to uh, you know exploit it and so forth. So, yeah. uh, what do you what do you think that the the media industry? Uh, I mean, that's a, obviously a big umbrella term, but what what can they do to tighten up security? Uh, and how can the lessons learned from these media insecurities apply to other industries? I guess again, it's it's being able to access um, as much um, identity data on a new applicant as you can and I think that's a combination of physical identity data and digital identity data to understand whether the person who is coming to your site and asking to sign up for an account is a genuine person or whether it is potentially a stolen or synthetic identity Mm -hmm. and I think that's really about kind of um, you know layering in those different solutions and looking at any kind of risk that or risk um knowledge that you may have on those kind of entities to understand whether they're you know a, a genuinely good user or a potential risk yeah is that um involved so you think we should like be ramping up like two-factor things are, are there other sort of um sort of barriers that we can use that uh, still don't sort of push people away yeah i mean i i definitely think um multi-factor authentication is is part of the overall solution in certain scenarios but i also think that using um, kind of risk-based um, analysis is also a really key part of the of the solution, so that you're looking um, at what information you can currently find out about the the user, um, as well as um, potentially you know using multi-factor authentication. Okay, so uh, tell me a little more about the the sort of risk-based testing like that. What what are what are you looking for in a, a, a new you know, account or whatever, or or how do you, I guess, how do you go about looking for, you know, this? So again, going back to um, how, how we use digital identity intelligence, we're at the point at which someone transacts, we're looking at everything relating to their device. So, you know, what kind of device they're using and does it have any high risk markers on it? I see. We're looking at things relating to their location, whether that's consistent with their device behavior anything that we might know about their identity data and whether that correlates to things that we know about their device that we might have seen elsewhere in the network, for example, any known threat intelligence on that particular, um, those particular entities. So really looking at kind of information that we already might know about that transacting user from elsewhere in the network to understand whether their current transaction might be um, high risk or not. Right. So this, this type of data is pretty universally collected then with users that it's just a matter of sort of utilizing it to sort of do, uh, you know, extra level of forensics or is, or there are a lot, a lot of places that don't sort of look at the data that closely. So this is part of our threat metrics, digital identity network. Yeah. So it's, it's customers who are um, part, who are using our solution Mm -hmm. uh, are part of that network. Yeah. Okay. Um, so based on the findings of the uh, second half 2018 report, what recommendations are you making to reverse the course of the exponential growth of bot attacks cross activity and emphasis on mobile hacking? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's all about kind of using the layered defense that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to bot attacks, it's obviously about the capability of being able to detect those those kind of high velocity attacks at the front door before they're impacting um, a, a merchant or a company's ability to accept good customer transactions. So mm-hmm. really stopping them before they're kind of um, impacting um, business practices. 
But in terms of kind of how to mitigate against other cybercrime attacks, again, I think it's going back to looking at um, holistically at kind of the information that you know about a transacting user, looking at everything you know about their digital identity and being able to detect um, potential high-risk scenarios or anomalies that, that don't look like normal user behavior. Mm-hmm. And are you currently working on the uh, the H1 2019 report? And um, do you have any sort of predictions for what you think, uh, you know, any of this is going to change or is it still up in the air? We are working on the H1 um, report and I've seen a couple of interesting fraud stories that we're going to be including in the report. Um, okay. Again, looking at different kind of modus operandi of how fraudsters are working across the network. Um, we don't have any kind of hard and fast numbers yet in terms of what the trends are, um, but I'm kind of keenly anticipating um, looking at particularly the mobile story and how mobile attacks are evolving. Mm-hmm. And likewise, I'm interested to see whether that bot volume is consistent with what we saw in H2 2018. Okay. Uh, as we wrap up today, if uh, people want to know more about threat metrics and maybe get a copy of the uh, H2 report, uh, 2018 report themselves, uh, where can they go? Uh, they can go to our website, threatmetrics.com. The report is available from the website. Um, yeah, and there's there's lots of other kind of detailed information about some of the stuff that I've spoken about today. Okay. Uh, Rebecca, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. And thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in CyberSpeak with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search CyberSpeak with InfoSec in your favorite podcast app. See the current promotional offers available for podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro live boot camps, InfoSec Skills on-demand training library, and InfoSec IQ security awareness and training platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description. Thanks once again to Rebecca Moody and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.